We're going to be in Mark chapter 13. We are studying uh, this chapter is the Olivet Discourse. This chapter is Bible prophecy. Jesus is talking about something that's going to happen in the future. And so if we want to handle this properly to understand what Jesus is actually teaching and saying and what he's not saying, uh, there's some building blocks that we need to do that. Um, this chapter, his message here, the Olivet Discourse, is relatively straightforward. We don't have a lot of figurative language and symbolism that we run into in some other places in the Bible when it, in regards to prophecy. So it's much simpler than that. But there are still some things that we have to have to handle um, in order to make some proper conclusions about what he's saying. Um, I'm bad about spending the whole hour going backwards and talking about what we talked about last week. Um, so I'm not going to do that completely. I am going to do it a little bit. Uh, it is absolutely essential that when you study the Bible, and um, you know what we're doing on Wednesday nights now, we've canceled for the month until September, and then we're going to resume in September. But that Bible study that we were going to have, that Living by the Book, um, it teaches us how to study the Bible for ourselves. It should be really a good, worthwhile study for us. Um, but if we're going to try to do anything with the Bible, you, you absolutely have to take the passage you're reading in its context. That means the immediate context in the book. It means the context of the book itself and how this book fits into the rest of the Bible. It's just, it's just critical that you do that. And so um, we've spent so much time talking about Jesus' earthly ministry and how he finally comes to this final week in Jerusalem how he's staying in Bethany and he comes into the city every day and he teaches in the temple and then he goes back to Bethany and we've been watching how this has happened. Well, it kind of came to a, a, a culminating point where Jesus was done talking to the public um, before the cross. You know, he, he got to this final place where he's no longer speaking to everybody. He's only talking to his disciples. And so this message that we've been studying is just Jesus and his followers. It's not the general public. And we, uh, you know, um, the last time Jesus was teaching publicly was in the temple complex. And he was making this scalding assessment of the religious leadership of Israel. It was a, it was a final assessment that he made publicly. And after that, no more public messages, just with his followers. Well, uh, Mark only gives us three verses on that assessment. Luke gives us two verses on that assessment. Matthew gives us the entire 23rd chapter. And so we spent quite a bit of time in Matthew chapter 23 because of the detail he provides. And at the end of that chapter, at the end of Matthew chapter 23, Jesus makes a series of predictions. Things that he says that are going to happen in the future. He said the religious leadership is going to be held accountable. And the nation is going to be held accountable. What's that going to look like? Well, the, the, the nation is going to fall. Jerusalem is going to fall. The temple is going to fall. 
And then he says that he's going to come back. The Son of Man will return once Israel returns to him. And so there's some components there. And this is going through the minds of the disciples because they're listening to what he's saying. And so as they walk out of the city and they begin to ascend the Mount of Olives, Mount Olivet in Hebrew, Olivet, so the Olivet Discourse. So as they're ascending the Mount of Olives, the disciples turn to him and they, uh, they said, you know, Jesus, when is all of this going to happen? All of these things that you just got through telling us. Because you'll remember, you know, we studied the first couple of verses of chapter 13. We remember that he made this assessment of religious leadership, this pronouncement of judgment upon the nation. And then as they were walking out, they marveled at the temple. And Jesus said, guys, the temple, its days are numbered. Not one stone is going to be left on top of another. And so as they're walking out of the city, they start to ascend the Mount of Olives. The disciples ask him, well, Jesus, when is all this going to happen? And so they sit down on the mountain, they're overlooking the city, and chapter 13 is Jesus' answer, which we all have talked about. Well, we've been talking, uh, I've mentioned how important it is to have a few components when we talk about uh, the Bible prophecy especially. And the first thing is to understand the frame of mind of the audience. And so last Sunday, we spent a little bit of time talking about this Old Testament chronology. If you are a student of the Bible, if you are following God, you're going to the synagogue on, sun, on Sabbaths and you're, you're listening to the rabbi teach and maybe you get the rare opportunities to be around a rabbi or a teacher during the week and you listen. And, and uh, the Bible teaches things about what's going to happen in the future. And so over a period of time, you would systematize that information into where you kind of came to a cohesive conclusion about what's going to happen in the future. This was the chronology that's taught throughout the Old Testament. It basically says that there's a coming day when Jerusalem is going to fall. But Israel's going to repent. And when Israel repents, God comes to the rescue. And God's going to judge his enemies. And then Israel's king, the Messiah, is going to establish his kingdom on earth. That is the basic chronology that comes screaming through the Old Testament time and time again. Sometimes it's talking about just one of those components. Sometimes it's going into great detail. And we could spend a lot of time talking about each one of those things. But this is the basic format. format. So this is what these disciples had in their minds. And so they're listening to what Jesus is teaching, what he just got through saying, that he just talks about the temple being torn down, and they're plugging it into this chronology in their minds. And so last Sunday, we talked about the prophecy in Daniel called the 70 weeks, the 77s. It's in Daniel chapter 9. And in that prophecy, at least that particular prophecy, because the full book of Daniel goes all through all of that in great detail. But in the, in the prophecy of the 70 weeks, it's verses 24 through 27 right in there in chapter 9. It basically says that, uh, that Israel is going to be judged. Jerusalem is going to fall. And it talks about this abomination of desolation that's going to occur, this desecration of the temple. But it also talks about how God is going to judge his enemies. And so if you're looking at this chronology, you have Jerusalem's going to fall. 
and God judging his enemies. So even though it doesn't go into it in detail, it is implied that Israel is going to repent. It's implied that God is going to rescue them and he's going to judge his enemies. And then finally, you know, uh, the kingdom will be established. It's not all said in this little passage. So when you study Daniel chapter 9 for the prophecy of 70 weeks, you don't see this entire chronology, but you see key components. In Zechariah chapter 14, we read the entire chapter. And we did that because every one of those essential building blocks is in Zechariah chapter 14. If you just go home this afternoon, open your Bible, read Zechariah 14, and you just follow it through, you're going to see this chronology. A couple of things jump out of order, but then they come back. But it's this, this is the chronology. So the Old Testament is very tricky. And we looked at some other things about this. Um, if you just look at uh, this chronology and you compare it with uh, what Jesus said at the end of Matthew chapter 23, at the end of his assessment. If you look at what he said, and then you look at this chronology, Jesus said, religious leadership's going to be held accountable, and the nation's going to be held accountable. There's that fall of Jerusalem. But he says, I'm coming back, but I'm not coming back until Israel repents. You see how that's fallen into this chronology? And so this is what was going through the minds of the disciples. And so as they're walking out of the city, they're like, Jesus, uh, when is all this going to happen? Evidence that this is in their minds. Uh, Luke chapter 19. This was a place in the Bible where uh, Jesus had just made his third prediction to the disciples that he was going to be handed over to the rulers, crucified, but would rise on the third day. It was the third time he predicted that. Okay, And uh, uh, they were leaving Jericho. And we remember that when Jesus was passing through Jericho, uh, he healed the two blind men. And when he was in Jericho, uh, Zacchaeus climbed up in the sycamore tree. Jesus had dinner with Zacchaeus. So as they were leaving Jericho, Jesus knew what these guys were thinking because they were coming near to Jerusalem. This is what the Bible says, chapter 19, verse 11. I'm not ad-libbing and embellishing. It says that because they were nearing Jerusalem, Jesus knew what the disciples were thinking. And so he began to teach them in parables, and he taught the parable of the ten minas. And it talks about a, a king going away to get authority, and he comes back to rule. Very interesting, isn't it, that that would be the parable. But uh, as he's coming back, Jesus said, because they were nearing Jerusalem, and the reason, the reason, again, I'm only talking about this in Luke 19 is to show that we know this is the frame of mind that the disciples had. In chapter 19, verse 11, it says, they thought, he, he, he says this to them, he begins to teach them this parable because they're nearing Jerusalem. And he knew what was going on in their minds. He says, they thought the kingdom of God was going to appear right away. Now, after the cross, after the resurrection, after Jesus has appeared to many, and right before he ascends to heaven, this is still on the disciples' minds. I'm turning in the Bible now to Acts chapter 1, verses 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, this is the risen Christ before he's ascending into heaven. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, at this time, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel? You see, this was the chronology. This is what the Old Testament taught. 
The disciples were not out of their minds, thick-headed. This is what the Bible teaches, that this is what's going to happen. And so Jesus has risen from the dead. He hasn't ascended yet, and they're saying, Lord, at this time are you restoring the kingdom to Israel? Now look at his answer. It is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That is the key verse of the book of Acts. It is the outline for the entire book. It is the commission of the church that we are to take the gospel to those closest to us, our closest family members, and move out from there, move out from the center, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the outward parts of the earth. And so Jesus is talking about a period of time that they're just starting to figure out. There's an interval of time. And so uh, this is the frame of mind of these disciples. So when Jesus is saying these things in the, in the temple and they're walking out, he's, they're like, when is all this going to happen, Jesus? The thing that the disciples didn't understand is that the Messiah was going to come twice. He was going to appear once and then appear a second time. They didn't know that there was a first and second advent. When you study the Bible, when you study the Old Testament, it talks about what the Messiah is going to do. What is the Messiah going to accomplish? What do we expect to see happen? They did not understand that God was going to separate those accomplishments. Those accomplishments were going to be separated by a first and second advent. They didn't realize that in the first advent, Jesus was going to come as a suffering servant. But when he returns, he's coming as king. All of the things that are told about the Messiah will be, will, will be accomplished, but they did not realize the separation. We, uh, we read last Sunday, or we read uh, Isaiah 61 last Sunday, and it's recorded in Luke 4, when Jesus was in the synagogue in Nazareth, and they asked him to read. So he stood up and he read from the scroll of Isaiah. And he turns the scroll to Isaiah 61. And he read verse 1, and he read half of verse 2. And then he went and sat down. And then he said to everybody, he said, What I have just read has been fulfilled in your presence today. And then he sat down, and everybody was staring at Jesus. Because he separated by, by stopping mid-sentence, by stopping in the middle of verse 2, he separated that this was the favorable day of the Lord, the favorable year of the Lord where he came to proclaim the good news. And he did not continue reading where it says that this is when God is going to exact judgment. When Jesus returns, there's going to be judgment. And so even at this early point in his ministry, in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus is in Nazareth, he is indicating that there is this interval of time, this parenthesis, this gap, something that you didn't see in the Old Testament. It was in there. It was hinted at. Even in Daniel's 70 weeks, it talks about the Messiah being cut off. Isaiah 53 talks about the suffering servant. There are places in the Old Testament. But I don't even know if it's humanly possible for those fellows to have been reading the Old Testament and realize what was going to happen. The Bible in the New Testament talks of it as a mystery, something that is new information that's being revealed and clarified. Now, Last Sunday, we spent a lot of time talking about Jerusalem falling because it really did fall in A.D. 70. We talked about all of that. Uh, I spent more time talking about what Josephus wrote 
than what the Bible actually says, but the Bible has plenty of prophecy in the Old Testament and New Testament about this fall. And we went into some vivid details and we saw all of the atrocities and how horrible it was what happened when the city fell. But we look at this chronology and some stuff didn't happen. Jerusalem fell, but Israel did not repent. Well, guess what? None of the rest of it happened either. You have to have number two. You have to have Israel repenting. Israel has yet to repent. They still haven't repented. They will, but they haven't yet. And then we talked about some of the other things that didn't happen. We talked about how there was no abomination of desolation. How this period of time was not worse than any other period of time in all of human history. We talked about that. That didn't happen. Uh, we talked about how the heavens were not shaken and, and stars falling and stuff. That didn't happen. And obviously, Jesus didn't return. And so when you're looking at Bible prophecy, when Jesus is talking about Jerusalem getting ready to fall, they're thinking about this. What they were doing was running the risk of confusing what was going to happen in AD 70 in about 40 years with that. That is one of the key points Jesus is making in the Olivet Discourse. Do not confuse what is getting ready to happen with the end. There is going to be a fall, but it is not the fall. Not the fall you guys are anticipating. Don't be confused. And so here is the outline of the Olivet Discourse. And uh, uh, it is fairly straightforward and simple. Last Sunday, we looked at verses 1 and 2. And so beginning in verse 3 all the way to the end of verse 27 is a period of time the Bible calls the tribulation. So the vast majority of the Olivet Discourse is telling us about this tribulation period. Well, let's read it together. Uh, like I said, we only get one shot at, at looking at each other a week right now. So let's, let's, uh, let's dive in. I hope you guys came to study the Bible this morning. Beginning in verse 3. While he was sitting on the Mount of Olives across from the temple complex, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to take place? Then Jesus began by telling them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. These things must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginnings of birth pains. But you be on your guard. They will hand you over to Sanhedrins and you will be flogged in synagogues. You will stand before governors and kings because of me as a witness to them. And the good news must first be proclaimed to all nations. So when they arrest you and hand you over, don't worry beforehand what you will say. On the contrary, whatever is given to you in that hour, say it. For it isn't you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Then brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rise up against parents and put them to death. And you will be hated by everyone because of my name. 
but the one who endures to the end will be delivered. When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it should not, then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. A man on the housetop must not come down or go in to get anything out of the house. And a man in the field must not go back to get his clothes. Woe to pregnant women and nursing mothers in those days. Pray it won't happen in the winter. For those days of tribulation, the kind hasn't been from the beginning of the world which God created until now and never will be again. Unless the Lord limited those days, no one would survive. But He limited those days because of the elect whom He has chosen. Then if, you want, if anyone tells you, look, here is the Messiah, look there, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets, prophets will rise up and will perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. And you must watch. I have told you everything in advance. But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not shed its light. The stars will be falling from the sky and the celestial powers will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. He will send out the angels and gather His elect from the four winds, from the end of the earth to the end of the sky. If I can draw your attention to the outline, you'll see here that beginning in verse 3 all the way through 27, Jesus is comparing this period of time to a woman in labor, to a woman giving birth. It begins with birth pains and it ends with the return of the Son of Man. This is the picture Jesus is creating. Well, right off the bat, right off the bat, there's something very important for us to do. We have to decide what it is Jesus is talking about. That is what we're going to spend the remainder of our time with this morning. It is critical for us to know what it is Jesus is actually talking about. It says that there's going to be wars, rumors of wars, plagues, earthquakes. There's going to be persecution. And then there's going to be this abomination of desolation, followed by the worst period of time in the, in the history of the world. Well, today, we have earthquakes, and we have plagues, we have persecution, we have wars and rumors of wars, but we don't have the abomination of desolation, and we haven't seen the worst period of time in the world's history yet. So, we have to decide if Jesus is talking about the entire interval of time between when He leaves and when He comes back. In other words, right now, this entire period of time is the tribulation. It begins with birth pains and ends with Jesus coming back. And at some point in this gigantic interval of time between when Jesus ascended into heaven and departed and when He returns, this entire interval of time is being pictured as a woman in labor. And at some point there's going to be the abomination of desolation. Is that what He's talking about? Or is He saying that in this interval of time, at the very end of it, is a very specific period of time right before I return? Which one is it? 
Well, the Bible does answer that question definitively. We're going to be looking at several factors that absolutely identify a period of time at the end of the interval of time. These factors we're going to look at are going to basically eliminate possibility number one. It's not a viable option as we begin to look at these. I have six of them. The sixth one is extremely short. The first one, two, three are pretty short. So. Uh, four and five, we're going to camp out just for a minute. But uh, why is this important? Because we want to know if, if we're talking about, like right now, the church, what we're going through right now. Is this the tribulation period? Or, since we have wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes, is that now? Or is it something that's going to be at the end? The first reason that we are going to look at this being at the end of the interval of time is because the basic setup of the, all of that discourse is designed, is designed to teach the disciples that the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70 is not the period of time. That's the whole point. Now, when A.D. 70 occurred, 40 years after Jesus was preaching this, that's in that gigantic interval of time, isn't it? Well, Jesus is saying, even though this happens in that gigantic interval of time, which has been almost 2,000 years now, that is not what I'm talking about. Don't confuse A.D. 70 with what's coming. That fall is not the fall. That is the primary point Jesus is trying to make with the disciples. What is getting ready to happen is not part of the end that I'm describing. Number two, labor is a closed system. Being pregnant is not labor. False labor is not labor. But when labor kicks in, it runs its course. In the beginning, the pains are less severe than the pains at the end. They're farther apart. But as time goes on, the severity of the birth pains increase. And not only do they increase, they become closer and closer together. And that's why there's that warning to make sure you get that epidural before it's too late. This is the picture of the birth, that, of the period of time Jesus is saying that once it starts, it comes to its conclusion and it's going to start off slow, and it's going to get worse and worse and worse, and at the end is rapid fire. And next Sunday we're going to look at some stuff, and you're going to see exactly what he's talking about. It's this incredible picture in the Bible. Uh, we'll spend a little bit more time on that next Sunday if, if everything goes as planned. But this is the picture, you guys. It's a picture of a woman in labor. Number three is that this period of time involves Israel, not the church. This is not talking about the church. It's talking about Jerusalem, Judea, the mountains surrounding Judea. It's talking about the temple and the abomination of desolation in the holy place. It's talking about Sabbaths, Sanhedrins, synagogues. Israel is the subject matter here, not the church. 
false messiahs. Number four is that not only uh, is, does Jesus not want them to confuse what's getting ready to happen with the end, and the end is like a woman in labor, and the tribulation uh, period of time that we're talking about is involving Israel, not the church. Now, has we, have we answered the question where the church is right now? No. Church could be on the earth. Church could be raptured out. In one sense, it's irrelevant at this point because we need to recognize that this tribulation period is involving Israel. Number four, the tribulation is for Israel. This is for Israel. It is Israel's rejection. It is Israel's repentance. It is Israel's restoration. The focal point of the tribulation period is the nation of Israel. It is the center of attention. At the end of the great tribulation, there will be a surviving, believing remnant of Jewish people who are going to finally receive the covenant promises that God has made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You can turn there with, you, with, you, with me if you want. But I'm going to be talking about Jeremiah chapter 30. Because Jeremiah chapter 30 identifies this period of time as being Jacob's trouble. The trouble of Jacob. Jeremiah chapter 30 opens up with Jeremiah talking about Israel and Judah. We remember that after Solomon died, the nation split in half. There was the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. In the opening verses, verses 3 and 4 of chapter 30, it says that God is going to return Israel and Judah back into the land. That's not talking about the church, you guys. It's not confuse any of this. It's a silliness to confuse that. This is only talking about Israel. He's talking about bringing Israel and Judah back into the land. Verses 3 and 4. In verse 5, he says that this time when this happens, there's going to be great fear and trembling. It's going to be a bad time. There's going to be some bad stuff that's getting ready to happen. As a matter of fact, in verse 5, he compares it to a man. In verse 6, he compares it to a man going through labor. And then in verse 7, look what he says. How awful that day will be. There will be none like it. There will be a time of trouble for Jacob, but he will be delivered out of it. Remember the chronology, you guys. This is talking about a period of time that Israel is going to go through. There's that fall. Look what he says. For uh, how awful it will be. There's none like it. We just read that, didn't we? We read about a time that's, not going to, that's going to be unprecedented, unparalleled in all of human history. This is what he's talking about. This terrible time is going to be the time of trouble, Jacob's trouble. But Israel will be delivered out of it. In verse 9 it says God will raise up their king. And so just as God judges his enemies, this is also a time of discipline for Israel. Look what he says in verse 11. He says, For I will be with you, this is the Lord's declaration to save you. I will bring destruction on all the nations where I have scattered you. However, I will not bring destruction on you. I will discipline you justly. I will by no means leave you unpunished. And so you can begin to see that chronology, that Old Testament chronology that we're talking about 
right here in Jeremiah chapter 30. Jeremiah chapter 30 is telling us that this is a period of time where Israel is going to go through that purifying crucible. This is a time of Jacob's trouble where Jesus is going, where God is going to purify the nation of Israel so that those who survive in the end repent and receive Christ as their Lord and Savior, you see. This is a period of time for Israel. Now, we also looked at Daniel's 70 weeks last Sunday. And I know that it looks like a monster. But if you were to just open up the Bible to Daniel chapter 9 and just read these, it's just, it's just four verses, you know? I mean, it's just a short little pair of uh, prophecy. It's very straightforward. There's no bells or whistles and mysteries and secrets. It's very straightforward. It provides us with an incredible clock that we can go by. Reason number five is that the tribulation period is seven years long. It's not the entire interval of time. It's only seven years. And right in the middle is the abomination of desolation. So simply because we know that Jesus is saying, hey, the fall of Jerusalem is getting ready to happen, that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is a period of time that you can compare to a woman in labor and it culminates with me returning. You see, the tribulation is for Israel. It involves just Israel. And this period of time isn't 2,000 years long. This period of time is seven years long. That's number six. Well, how do we know that the tribulation is only seven years? How do we, how do we know something like that? Well, in Daniel chapter 9, the angel Gabriel appears to Daniel. And he tells him this prophecy. That's, what, that's how we know this. And so Daniel is there speaking to this incredible angel. And the angel in verse 24 says, Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city. That's verse 24. Now, is he talking about the church? Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city. It's the nation of Israel. Now, in Hebrew, the word for week means a period of sevens. And so it can be days or it can be years. So this prophecy of 70 weeks, does that mean 70 weeks of seven-day weeks? Or is it 70 weeks of seven-year weeks? Which one is it? Well, historically, we can look backwards and we can see that it's talking about seven-year periods. But we can, just from what's happened, but we can also just look at the actual text there in Daniel, and the question is answered very immediately, because the chapter opens up with Daniel studying the book of Jeremiah. Now remember, Daniel is a, is a prisoner. He's been taken captive by the Babylonians, and he has risen up in the highest parts of the court of the land, and Babylon fell to Persia. And so now he is at the, at the, at the right-hand guy, he's a, he's a big shot, uh, he's, a, he's a captive, he's not a free man, but he has a high leadership position in the, in the Persian Empire. And so Cyrus knows Daniel. They're, they're buddies. And he's studying the book of Jeremiah, and he realizes that the captivity, the exile, was only going to last seven years, 70 years. So right then and there, we can see that this prophecy is involving... 70 weeks that are seven years long. 
This is how we know that we are talking about a group, a 70 groups of seven years. Now, if your math is any good and you take seven times seven, you come up with 49. So this is 490 years. And if you were going to read the prophecy there in Daniel, you would see that it begins when Daniel's reading this prophecy and Jeremiah says the, the captivity is only last 70 years. So he goes and he approaches the king. He starts to pray and he approaches and, and sure enough, they let him go back. So from the very beginning when it was decreed to go back and return and rebuild Jerusalem, we studied that little period with Ezra and Nehemiah. From that point all the way to the very end of the tribulation is this 490 years. Now, if you're any good at math, you know that there's about 2,000 years plus on top of that. That's this interval of time. In this prophecy, it tells us that the first 69 weeks goes from the, the, uh, the decree to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple all the way to the Messiah being cut off. That's 69 weeks. That's when, the, when Jesus was crucified and He ascended into heaven. And if the 70th week had started, the 70th week is the tribulation. And so you see here, we have the cross and we have the tribulation. But right in between my hands is this 2,000 year period of time, this interval. So we are waiting for this final 70th week to begin. It hasn't begun yet. In verse 27, it says that uh, when he's talking about how midway through this 70th week, the abomination of desolation occurs. He says, He, the Antichrist, will make a firm covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and offering. And then the abomination of desolation will be on a wing of the temple only until the decreed destruction is poured out, until judgment is poured out on the desolator. In the book of Revelation, this is talked about more. And if that's not doesn't solidify it in your mind already, the book of Revelation talks about the period of time that remains, or when this abomination desolation occurs, it tells us that, that there are 42 months left. It says 42 months in chapter 11, verse 2. It says 42 months in chapter 13, verse 5. And then it also says that 42 months means 1,260 days. It says that twice. It says it in chapter 11, verse 3, and chapter 12, verse 6. There's no question that the tribulation period is a seven-year period of time interrupted in the middle by this abomination of desolation. And so if the abomination of desolation occurs midpoint of the labor, then Jesus is talking about a period of time at the end of the interval, not this entire time period since he has left. What he told, what's he told the church to do? To be ready? He's coming back for us? It's so different from what we're seeing here, isn't it? It's almost two different things are happening. The final point. Those are the ones I went through. is that the labor that's being described in the Olivet Discourse is paralleled by the tribulation in the book of Revelation. 
If you read the book of Revelation, it is paralleling what Jesus is talking about in all of that discourse. If everything goes as planned, next week we will look closer at that next Sunday. Last week's test question is this week's test question. Where is the church? What is the church doing while all of this is going on? And so hopefully next week we will also be able to make some definitive statements about that as well. So let's pray.